0: Hi, I'm Ted Zoller, and you're tuned into On the Heels of Innovation, a podcast powered by the Entrepreneur's Genome Project at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. How is it that some people are successful in pushing their ideas further and faster than the rest of the world? What characteristics do they share? Which skills did they work to hone? And what lessons have they uncovered through each step forward and back that can inspire you to accelerate your own ideas for a business or venture? This podcast will explore the perspectives, insights, and journeys of innovators and entrepreneurs who combine creative thinking and perseverance to go beyond the expected. On the Heels of Innovation is powered by the Entrepreneur's Genome Project, which is a research initiative that I lead with my students in the Entrepreneur's Lab class at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, revealing the DNA that makes up successful entrepreneurs. So welcome today to On the Heels of Innovation. We're really fortunate today to have two serial entrepreneurs. Uh, who are co-founders of an exciting company based in New York City called Bonsai. And uh, I want to welcome uh, Patrick Sullivan and Jake Rosenfeld, who are the co-founders, uh, to On the Heels of Innovation. Welcome, guys.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Great to be here. Right. Thanks, Ted. I'm really excited about the topic uh, that we're talking about because Bonsai is focused on social capital. And really helping uh, people figure out their career journeys, their lives. Uh, tell us a little bit about bonsai and uh, how it came about.
1: So, bonsai for me comes from a journey of networking that started all growing up in the Bronx uh, in the early '70s. You know, I, I like to think the founder market fit, product market fit of where we are today as a company, but I think the journey has been in the works since. So it's you know, sort of my early days. Uh, not having access to networks and learning through my career about inputs that I needed to acquire to make connections to people who are now in my professional network. And while working uh, you know, throughout my professional career, I had built such a strong network of individuals that were direct contributors to my growth, advice, guidance around the best decisions I ended up making in my career. And I'd like to think of that, you know, the product market fit and the founder market fit started with that inception, uh, uh, of my early days growing up.
0: So Patrick, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, you know, I think, uh, we all recognize that networking is important to, uh, build an entrepreneur, but it, as an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, uh, you've had to make your own opportunities. You know, people always talk about, um, our entrepreneurs is lucky or fortunate. And the distinction is uh, lucky is arbitrary, fortunate is preordained, and fortunate is a function of preparation. And preparation is about building a network. I know I'm kind of probably losing you at this point, but my sense is that um, you're trying to solve for uh, serendipity to a certain extent. How do you bring people together to make impact? Is that right?
1: Yes. I, you know, what, what I've seen is the, the people who have access to networks protect their networks and then for some reasons we don't always allow people who are are not close or or connected to our networks in the network and so the idea behind bonsai is can we reverse engineer how people get access to networks um and it's you know you know back to you know fortunate and privileged people are born with network accessibility um i don't think i was one of those uh i was very fortunate where i grew up but my dad retired, making $22,000 a year in 1993. His access was just to people he knew that were not related to the networks I'm now part of. And so how do we break down the barriers of allowing people that are, have alumni networks at colleges, historical families that worked in businesses like J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America, people who have friends that worked in it. That network is very highly sought after and protected. And a lot of people are privileged with that access where people who may or not as fortunate don't have access to it. So when we looked at the markets that we are in today, finance and media and music and entrepreneurship, there's so much network access that we have. We decided, uh, both my co-founder and I, Jake Rosenfeld, like what if we can allow people into those networks through our network access point? And that was the inception behind Bonsai. I have over 10,000 people that I've networked with and I've aggregated in my you know, database, my contacts, my LinkedIn that are super valuable to those who don't have access. And what if we can create a systematic way to allow them accessibility? And we've been doing that our whole careers. I'm sure you've been doing it, Ted um, and Jake and others. Who they do it naturally, but they've never tried to create a system that would be streamlined and allow them into a network access point of view.
0: So, in a lot of ways, you and Jake are flipping privilege into access. You're, you know, you use in, on your website the term democratization. Uh, you're looking to democratize social capital so that people who otherwise have access to you know closed business networks can get access to them for instrumental reasons. Uh, is that right?
1: Correct. You know, you know, you know, Jake, you could feel to jump in as well. But, you know, when you think about network accessibility, I was fortunate to get a scholarship to NYU uh, graduate program that network access opened doors, especially in the music industry. I was now in a in a category that I I had dreamt of or was dreaming of when I was uh, a a young uh, person to a person who was on his career advance. That was very, uh, you know, very organized, allowed accessibility but not everybody gets that same buy-in, you know, those, those high tuitions those high costs. And so how do you allow that person who now is at NYU, uh, you know, sorry, the person who's not at NYU get access to that network that I now am part of. And so we're trying to rethink the accessibility of all the network gap issues that are, you know, are transcended over time and in business. Um, Jake, I'm going to let you go. He's a little bit more polished to me, Ted. So I'll let him take it away from here.
2: Great. Uh, I mean, Patrick, well said first of all second of all essentially what we're really trying to do when it comes to democratization is how do we facilitate an introduction that otherwise wouldn't have happened period um you know patrick mentioned his time at NYU. my upbringing was different than patrick's you know him, him growing up in the bronx i grew up in the suburbs of new york um so out in long island and um i had i think two things working for me personally growing up. That was uh, the actual physical access to people, right? If I wanted to learn more about a particular industry or a particular company, odds are I had maybe a father of a friend or a sibling of a friend who had that professional experience and I was able to tangibly get the advice I needed or maybe get an introduction to someone who could give me the advice or maybe even hire me. Um, But I think there's even something more than that. There is the psychology that went along with that. And the psychology I refer to relates to just being a young person and being able to conceptualize, hey, I have the ability, the aptitude um, to one day be at JP Morgan. I have the ability to one day be at a company like Google um, and and nothing's too you know, out of reach for me. And I think if, once you adopt that mentality in life, no matter what you're, you're going to do, that's an incredible, incredible thing to have in your war chest. Um, unfortunately for individuals that don't have that accessibility in front of them day to day to day, it's really hard to conceptualize and, and picture yourself in, the, in, you know, in those great companies, in those great careers, starting a company uh, one day that, that has you know, dozens of, of employees that you manage, etc. cetera. Um, so I think what we're really trying to do is just lower the barriers to access that first touch point And that second touch point is that you could begin developing a network, you begin getting tangible advice you want to be getting in order to kickstart that career, uh, or maybe level up in the career. But also on top of that, just essentially giving individuals the positive reinforcement around, it's a great world out there, it's a big world out there, and the executive at my dream company isn't that far out of reach. He or she is only a video chat away. And that's kind of the fundamental belief we have with with bonsai and how we're building it. For us, most important factor is in the quality of the match. So essentially what we do, if we have uh, an advice seeker um, come to our platform, we take that individual through an onboarding. And that individual essentially tells us what he or she has interests in and where he or she wants to go. It could be related to specific industries and roles, it could be related to actually specific companies, and it could be related to kind of specific challenges he or she's facing. And on the flip side, we have advice givers that go through a very similar onboarding. They tell us where they've been and who they are and how they can help. Whether it's company related, uh, actual workplace, you know, problem related, industry related, role related, et cetera. And what we do for the users of our platform is we ensure and, and, and essentially um, advocate for these matches that you're going to be assigned are super targeted. And even though you guys didn't overlap at, you know, glossy company XYZ like Google or you're not an a student and an alum from a top tier university there's something in your background or your desires and wishes and this person's ability to help with those desires and wishes that actually form a really good match and will create this kind of shared ground for you guys to build a relationship on. And it's it's a little bit arbitrary. It's potentially, you know, it sounds less tangible than, hey, I'm a Michigan student looking at interact with a Michigan graduate. But we, what we found so far is, just by creating some sort of connective tissue out of almost pretty much a matching algorithm that gives enough context for these conversations and these relationships to blossom um, where there weren't any other pieces of connective tissue before like a shared university or a shared company so that's that's our hope at least it's fascinating
0: to me if you think about the 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 function of matching you know i think our first attempt at it was matching, so that became Facebook, and then matching for marriage, and that became uh, any number of swipe apps, Um, but now you're really looking at matching that's well beyond just matching for career success, but you're matching for serendipity. You're matching for kind of the exception event in your future, something that's uniquely about you, and a lot of it, I think, reflects that entrepreneurial experience that Patrick opened up with. Uh, Patrick, I want to unpack a little bit your experience of building your career and um how it informed this of bonsai and how that's taken shape um patrick you're a serial entrepreneur when you started it out did you think you would be an entrepreneur at the very beginning was it a plan
1: it, it, it wasn't a plan it, it was a point in time when i did recognize i was an entrepreneur but it took it took a lot of self-learnings along the journey but if you, if you look back in hindsight i was that kid who was organizing the hockey games. I would organize the football games in the Bronx. This is a pre-cell phone era for you. <laughs> so I would say, in growing up and re- recalling some of the practice, I apply today. I was the guy who'd be like, "Let's let's let's get a football game going at 3 p.m. with no football because we didn't own a football. So we were betting that John Percival, who, grew, who was down the street, would give us the football from his window if he was home. So I was definitely that guy who was very good at organizing and positioning, and that transcended to you know my. Career where I will jump into a space knowing that there's problems in the space area, and 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 write down the napkin idea. You know, oh, I
0: oh, rights flow in your experience. Yes, rights flow. You know, it, it's a, it was such a big problem, and you know, back at you know, w- with all of the challenges with uh, artists and and their intellectual property being you know basically taken, uh, you jumped into it.
1: Yeah, so I, I was when I was in grad school, I was one of the outliers in the in the program uh, around '97 to 2000. The music industry was a very hot industry. It was very it was growing pre Napster, and pretty much 99% of the students in my class were all excited about artists, the recording artists. And I was like, I don't care about the artists. They're, they're they they could be one and done, but the real value is the music, the song. The version that can be created and replicated. So I started to study the the money flow, the royalty side of the business, and it was boring. Licensing, nobody talked about it. The the professors didn't even have enough information to understand that back office functionality because it was very complex, archaic, and confusing. So my light bulb went off. I said, I want to be the expert on the side of that. No one's interested. Called the music publishing which was like still synonymous with book publishing from the 1800s. And I took that upon myself to be, I wanna become this industry expert. And I spent about five years uh, working at an organization called the National Music Publish Association that gave me a macro view, I worked on three Supreme Court cases. We worked on suing Napster, settling with Napster I got this macro understanding of the world of music and publishing and then I took that information and I brought it to tech companies that were doing media, doing online music, supplying music to iTunes, supplying music direct to consumers, but they still didn 't understand they were so driven by the artist and I always looked at them and it said, "Hey, you know eventually this is going to be." trackable and accountable or or not trackable and accountable. We need to create systems because this isn't the CD world where you buy a CD at wholesale, you sell it at Tower Records. You buy a song and the only value that song will benefit to the copyright owners is through the metadata associated. So I started to build metadata approaches to mapping that information back to copyright payments. And that kind of was like and I did that for a few years in a company but did not they did not understand it it was non-sexy. They put us in a back office. I ended up building systems for them, didn't understand what I built. And so one day I woke up and said, Screw it. I'm going to build it for everyone. And that was where RightsFlow was inception. I quit the same day. It didn't go two week notice or anything like that. I was like, I had to do this. Came home, cursed at my computer, said, Why did I quit? Then the next day I started RightsFlow. Three days later, I was down in Washington, true story, doing a presentation panel with Microsoft, RightsFlow, and blah, blah, blah companies. And I, here I was presenting my it was just one of me <laughs> i i had executed so fast uh, and put a logo together got on a panel and there lo and behold uh, rights flow was incepted my first company was signed client was signed that week i learned the art of cons- uh, signing an agreement make it one page if you can and i did and i got a ten thousand dollar advance and that's how the company was incepted and uh um you know rights flow was all in for me and i you know i, I put my whole life savings and it was a very very fun experience. It was, it was a real roller coaster ride and a lot of fun. It was acquired by Google, and
0: and uh, you know we can always talk about the great events, but you know you put your life savings into it. You you put everything on the line. You were prepared to um, go belly up, uh, and you actually like you said navigated some landmines, which are inevitable when you're trying to compete at that level. Um, and it's interesting. Your next company, uh, Source Three, was very similar type of um, uh, framework. You basically rinsed uh, rinse and repeated, didn't
1: you? Well we we eventually rinsed and repeated. Initially we, we were in a space uh 3D printing and we thought that 3D printing at the time, 2014, when we started Source 3 was a very hot topic, very investable. And at that time we were like, what if we can organize the world's copyright and license everything that could be 3D printed from from Disney to the world. It sounded like a great idea. Once we raised the capital, uh, uh, about a, a six, seven months later, institutional capital, we, we knew we were in the wrong space and we had to pivot. <laughs> and we did that without any investors or approvals or whatever. We just decided, let's go back and build something that will be very similar to Rights Flow, a little bigger because we didn't just organize music copyrights. We organized the world's intellectual property. Uh, so we like to call it a taxonomy taxonomy of information around consumer licensable goods. And, and then, uh, you know, th- that company was acquired by Facebook, uh, and,
0: and you've done a number of things since, but now you're uh, founding the company Bonsai, and this idea that you can preordain kind of your own career path, that you can open up networks, that you can help promote social capital. Jake, you're facing every day someone like Patrick, who's just starting out. This is a guy who organized games in the Bronx, and he has a gift. Tell us a little bit about how Bonsai helps to open up networks for the the aspirant who would want to have uh, Patrick's career.
2: With us, with Bonsai, as we jumped, similar to Patrick organizing the football game without a football, we jumped in to this space because we knew there was a problem. We were problem first, problem obsessed. Um, We, as everyone knows, sometimes it's not about what you know, but it's who you know, right? And because, that is so true and permeates our entire society. Uh, we became obsessed with the fact that there are so many eligible people out there that just don't know people to get them to the right place. Um, and we started working with a, a lot of college students. We said, let's t- let's focus on college students first just to understand you know where they have uh, points of friction, you know what they're stressed about, what they don't have access to, how they're thinking about developing careers, why they're choosing the majors they're developing, et cetera. And we spent uh, you know a handful of months researching students, building kind of early products for them, testing early products for them, um, really kind of begin beginning to obsess over this concept of breaking down the barriers to access top companies for employment. Not to interrupt, universities aren't very good at this. I mean, oh. you know, the Career Services Office will,
0: bring in a few employers who will, you know, do, you know, listings of different jobs that may or may not be a fit for this, this individual. Okay. And, uh, you know, we can do better in our ed world. So you're really kind of helping uh, college students think options are
2: available. Totally. And I think, you know, the, the UNC students, the Michigan students, etc. Um, they have the Better end of the stick, right? They have some of the advantages and, and vast, robust alumni networks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, actually, one of the for early cohorts of students we were working very closely with were individuals from CUNY, City University of New York, uh, which Hi. is the largest largest urban campus in the country, um, about two hundred seventy five thousand students, and we began working with them, and we began just identifying a ton of of painful things they were going through. And, and one of the things was they just couldn't get past the application process for big companies like Google and, and Goldman Sachs, and JP Morgan, et cetera. They were getting uh, what seemed to be algorithmically rejected, right? You submit an application and you don't hear back. And 10 days later, you get an auto-generated email that says, sorry, we reviewed your application. And the while you're really impressive, the demand for the position really high and you're not getting the job. Um, and we kind of saw this happen over and over and over again with a lot of the students we'd be working with and testing products with. So what we did was we took a cohort of these students from CUNY and we matched them to a bunch of friends of ours in the workforce, um, in a very qualitative way. We didn't have any algorithms telling us who to match them to. We had something as simple as a computer science student. And we said to that computer science student, you wanna work at a startup or at a big company? And if they'd say big company, we'd go find our friend of ours who's a engineer at Facebook and we'd say you two sync up for a conversation and, and have at it and enjoy We really provided very little bumpers or borders around those discussions. Um, what's funny is after doing this dozens of times, we started seeing patterns and some of the outcomes that were organically unfolding were, were amazing. Um, I'm talking people were getting internship offers, people were getting referrals to subsequent colleagues at really good companies like McKinsey, uh, you know, really opportunities and, and, and doors that were opening um, that wouldn't have opened if there was just a cold email involved and potentially a cold application involved. Um, one student even got invited to join a, a boot camp. Uh, data science bootcamp that um, for free that actually typically costed a few thousand dollars to join. So we so- started seeing some of these amazing things unfold. And for us, that's kind of when the light bulb moment slowly went off. And we said, this is what we want to build. We want to build a, a scalable version of this test um, where essentially we are the middleman to make it overly simple. And we match the person who needs the help with the person who can give the help and uh, for now over one-on-one sessions because our kind of hypothesis in the beginning is one-on-one is specialized and and detailed and uh, very human oriented as opposed to kind of a classroom setting. You know, if you're looking at uh, impact measures, uh, the outcome is
0: uh, a big break in a person's career, right? That breakout event is so hard to preordain if you don't have that social capital, you all are opening that social capital. I just looked at CUNY, for instance, City University of New York, this is, a, or this is a university that serves as a public university. Uh, the people who are living in the city who may not have the resources to go to the NYU or the Columbia or Cornell. Uh, but you know I just looked at their website. Uh, CUNY has produced 70 Fulbright scholars, 10 Truman scholars, seven Marshall scholars, seven Rhodes scholars. That's one way to indicate it. But if you see that CUNY kid end up working at one of the top high growth companies on, in Silicon Valley, that's an even better measure, I think, of social capital, isn't it? Totally.
2: Uh, yeah, we, we totally agree. Because getting into the door there and not being a Stanford grad, <laughs> right, and and being able to at least have access to walk in the door for the interview, that's a, whole, that's a whole thing in and of itself. That's a whole victory. There's a lot of
0: talent that didn't go to Stanford. You know, in a lot of ways, that's what I'm picking up in your, both of your histories. You both uh, worked in industries that, uh, you know, were very elite, but you weren't elite you you in fact wanted to reverse it you wanted to open up those limits for people you know and, and it occurs to me if we could put that algorithm that you have in your mind to work we're going to bring people that are overlooked now who have great talent into the mainstream so they can actually produce
1: more and the impact curve is going
0: to be such more so much more uh, substantial
1: you know ted I, I like to look at it when i had my early college journey i went through Community college, because that was my rite of passage. There was no fund. There was no college fund. So I, I, I was able to fund my first semester in college through a pharmacist that let me money that I work for. <laughs> it was $434. And I remember it because he hung it up on the wall and said, Patrick owes me $434. And it was, you know, I, I'm indebted to him. But I failed out of community college twice. There was no no, no SAT, SAT thinking and preparedness in my household. My parents didn't know what that meant. I got a 710 on my says he's overall um, and I went through a, a jazz music pro, a jazz studies music program at SUNY New Paltz which is part of CUNY it's a state school and when I graduated what do I do now become a dorm, <laughs> become a doorman so I started the search to become a doorman because I had zero qualifications or zero understanding of what I needed to know in order to get a career or a career path in line and so in hindsight if I only knew then what I know now, could I go back and change it? And so part of the Bonsai journey and the mission overall overarching is, can we impact Patrick at freshman year, Patrick at high school who doesn't have the accessibility of parents, networks, family members, relationships to help start their journey earlier to know one day you can be Jake Rosenfeld, Patrick Sullivan, Gideon Kalischer at Google who I worked with and get them thinking throughout the journey, the academic path, you know, the college or whatever skill based learning you apply, can we change that outcome? Real quick to touch on that,
2: Patrick. Uh, in a
0: lot of ways, you're, you're kind of um, helping people break out uh, in times when it's really hard to break out. And uh, it's very exciting what you're doing with Bonsai. I'm, I'm curious. I know you're too young to really come up with a bunch of stories on people you've impacted, but I wanna just run a hypothetical by you. Uh, someone who's got street smarts, someone who knows how to get things done, uh, but they grew up on the wrong side of the, of the track. Uh, they didn't grow up with uh, any, anyone in their family with money. They might've even had uh, you know, a challenging family situation. They, they might not be uh, from the majority race. They might be from a minority group. They might not be from the gender that prevails. They might be from another gender that hasn't prevailed as well. They, they are people who um, uh, might not have been uh, embedded in our community, but have come in as an immigrant. They might not think typically. They might think atypically. They might think variedly than most people. Um, how do you understand what they bring, and how do you put them in the position to realize their full potential?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll speak from, on the full potential, and, and, and uh, what, we've, what we've noticed by, with zero uh, a, uh, business development and advertising on our part, other than dropping a press release around funding, and in addition to that, a TechCrunch article and some features, we've signed up 500 plus coaches Several hundred of them have come to to the Bonsai I and signed up with the pro bono, I want to do good. And that product that we've launched, the marketplace I should say, is facilitating that accessibility to chief marketing officers at a big bank, legendary music producers, serial entrepreneurs, vice presidents at Google are coming to the platform. People like me, I I can't charge uh, anyone for a session, right? And I have my reasons. People have their reasons if they charge or not. You know, we're 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 a per play model, but we've allowed that access to bring the networks to the people that need it the most. And we've done that without even beginning our campaigns, which we're going to start in September. To start aggregating more coaches, more uh, uh, advice givers, as we would call them, and I think that's that's game changing. And I think that LinkedIn, in some capacity, does that, but they don't do it in a very sophisticated matching logic to identify the needs of the seeker and the needs of the giver or the offerings of the giver. And that, which makes it a wonderful product. You know, I'll give you an example with the UNT student. Um, the thirty-minute session. I'd given, I give. I I I was fully he was fully prepared i was fully loaded and it was um an african-american gentleman and the idea was in that 30 minutes could he get extrapolate enough information out of me to help him define his entrepreneurial journey i'm still talking to him two and a half years later <laughs> you, you know and i use i use that example as what bonsai represents as well because we've been doing this on online offline for years you know it's talking to people who is a Google product specialist. How did they get there? What did they do? What decisions did they make? On the flip side, like Jess said, uh, uh, Jake said on a session base, I need help with uh, fundraising. How do I think about going after venture capital? How do I think about uh, you know, the problems I need to identify in the business I've created? How do I need to execute on the technology? And who's my addressable market? And how do I create economics? Like the fundamentals of a startup. Those are things that I see consistently when I talk about startups and entrepreneurship. Um, and then in general, you know, how, do, how and who do I need to talk to in continuing past you that will help me along my journey. Um, and so we, we hope that solves for it uh, in many ways. At the end of the day, uh, if we can change the way people get access to networks and, and sp- make the na- network gap problem smaller, I think we're going to do our jobs and we, we could good, be, do good citizens. And I always like to say my first company I needed to do, Ted, My second company I wanted to do and my third company I have to do, you know, (laughs) and I was retired twice and I sit on a lake here down in North Carolina, my property, and I was drinking a beer and fishing and I met Jake and all these pieces were coming together, not knowing what Bonze would become. And I sat here and I said, oh my God, if I didn't do this, I'd be the biggest dope. And I talked to my wife, she got to know Jake and we went and jumped in uh, and it wasn't pretty. I know if you want to talk about the one day about the dark sides of, 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 of Bonsai, we, 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 we were near the Titanic. We were going fast. <laughs> we, were bo- we were at the bottom of the Titanic and we were going to be one of those uh, broken ships and falling in the sea. And uh, it was a pretty dark period back to mental health, I think, with startups. And I definitely have my own mental health challenges when I'm in all in. And I'm very myopic in that I focus on one thing only, and that's the success of the company. And there were days where I didn't see the bottom and that was scary. Thankfully, we were smart enough to pivot, test, pivot, test, pivot, and Bonsai was incepted pre-COVID, which was amazing. And here we are, and its I, I'm like, I can't believe it.
0: <laughs> I think you're just scratching the surface. I think, uh, Jake, you and Patrick are on the precipice of something really important. I mean, the idea of organizing a football game without a football this is a mindset, a way of you're helping a new generation deal with the new normal, which is a world that isn't a full employment world. You've got to find your place. And that's what I think called you to it, Patrick, got you off the chair in front of the lake with your beer and got you to say, I need to give this back. The cycle We talk about it at Carolina as a cycle of generosity. So we're going to be following bonsai. We're going to be following your work. Uh, we're really looking forward to uh engaging with you and it's amazing how um incredibly aligned uh what we're doing at Carolina and what you're doing at Bonsai is. So I hope this is a story that might converge at some point. Thank you for joining us on Heels of Innovation and I'm very grateful for your time and, and for your service to our entrepreneurial community. Thank you. Thank you, you. Thank so you
2: Ted. Appreciate it. It's been fun.